Hey everybody, Larry Powell here, your host for Studio HFL. Welcome to another Live With interview this evening. My guest is Peyton Shelton, and we're going to get to Peyton in just a second. But first, I would like to say thank you to the show sponsors. Of course, uh, not in alphabetical order, or uh, there's no hierarchy to this. It's just as they're coming to my head. Of course, Messina Covers, uh, S.E. Shires, Eastman Wins, uh, Carl Hammond Design, Pickett, Blackburn, Chop Saver, and Austin Custom Brass. I think I got everybody in there, but thanks to all of those sponsors for the, of the podcast. And of course, you can get uh, links to all of their information directly from Google, or you can go to the website and go from there. Of course, the website, you can also sign up for the newsletter. And uh, if you would like to support the podcast um, financially, you can do that at Patreon, patreon.com. And uh, yeah, I think that's what I need to do for the plug. So now let's get to uh, this conversation this evening with Peyton. Peyton, uh, this is live from Possum Holler, West Virginia. <laughs> JK, Salt Lake City, you know how it goes. But yeah, Larry, it's... great introduction on remembering all the sponsors and stuff. Great plugs. Ooh, thank you. Thank you. You nailed uh, it, dude. You nailed it. Well, I, I wish I say I could say I had a teleprompter or something in front of me, but and I tell <laughs> you, the it, it's the older I get. So I have three boys. And when we were all together uh, a week or so ago, I actually went through like all the names. I, I, I couldn't call them by the right name. <laughs> you know, and it's like you know what I'm talking about? It's like I became, oh, my mom my, does that for I me became my parents. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I know exactly the feeling. It's a thing. So welcome. It's a, it's a pleasure to meet you. Pleasure to be here and pleasure to see you and meet you the first time as well. Yeah. So uh, I'll be honest. One of the main reasons that I looked uh, your name up, well, I didn't look it up. People were, were saying, hey, um, you're experiencing the same thing as this guy, Peyton Shelton. And uh, of course, what that is, is uh, major weight loss. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get to that in just a second. But uh, first, let's tell me just a little bit about uh, what's going on. You told me right before we started that you just finished uh, a short performance tour. Oh, good grief. Yes. Uh, so I left Salt Lake about March 5th. Uh, that was the first day of the University of Utah spring break. Uh, mm -hmm. And I went to see my wife. My wife is a, a vocalist with the US Army Field Band. Um, they were on tour in Texas. I got to see her for just a little bit. And then I immediately flew from Texas uh, back to my undergraduate, Virginia Tech, uh, and I performed mm -hmm. with my electroacoustic trumpet ensemble, Fifth Bridge. Uh, we got a chance to premiere a giant concert that we have kind of had. We, li we literally, I was flying to Blacksburg, Virginia in March of 2020 when they said, no, pack it up, we're going home. Mm -hmm. So it has been two years in the making. So I straight up, we got a chance to actually perform that repertoire. And then another post-pandemic thing, we, um, I'm part of the Marari Brass Quintet, mm -hmm. and we were supposed to do a residency at Heidelberg University in Tiffin, Ohio, just a week after that original premiere, and lo and behold, the same residency got rescheduled to happen this month as well. So I just uh, told Larry uh, that I just got to see my students for the first time since March 5th today. Mm -hmm. And so we are doing an amazing job at trying to catch up on all the lessons and make sure recital rec is going well. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's going to be a heck of a month because my, my, I didn't stop in April. I actually um, am premiering and recording the Frank Tekeli, uh trumpet concerto with our win ensemble in April. Uh, uh, you're premiering that? 
Yes, uh, the, right? so, at least the the Win Band version. It was premiered mm -hmm. uh, back in '92, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, don't don't fact check me, folks. Don't don't Twitter uh, tweet me on that. But uh, in so many ways, uh, I'm premiering the Win Band version of it because I uh, kind of recommissioned, if you will, Frank mm -hmm. to reorchestrate that piece into the Win Band medium because more people kind of know him in that medium than the orchestra yep. version. And yep. I thought it would be a great way to have another cool piece from a well-known composer in that in the wind band world and our university is going to premiere it and record it so i'm kind of curious i, I can understand rescoring from orchestra to wind band but did he change anything in the solo part the solo part is exactly the same which is mm -hmm. thank goodness because i was practicing uh the handwritten version that uh, i got um and when he sent me the new kind of like the reorchestrated version that he put in the finale uh, it was exactly the same. So I was like, thank goodness all the licks are exactly the same. Oh, my goodness. Um, but I have not gotten a chance to, to hear any of the, the wind band version of it yet. Our wind ensemble has started rehearsing it. And from what I hear from my students and uh, my colleague who's conducting, he said, it sounds a little bit different than the orchestra version. So I, I know it's going to be different. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm really excited to hear it. We actually get a chance to sit down and run the first movement tomorrow. So that's nice. going to be really exciting to kind of hear it for the very first time. Are you a play from memory kind of performer? Oh, good Lord, no. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I always love watching Hokan Hardenberger or like Amazing Solos mm. perform because it almost seems mm. like they have it memorized, but they always have it just below the horizon of their eyeline mm. as a safety mechanism. I, I would love to get there, but I, I never feel comfortable to try to even start memorized. So I'm not a very good person when it comes to memorization you can even ask my brass quintet they're like we gotta memorize this piece i'm like oh no please please don't let me do that yeah why was it so easy to do uh, memorize marching band stuff oh wait i have because, no idea well yeah, it's because you do eight hours a day you know for yeah, yeah right it, it that's took why a that's long time for me. even even in high school it took me forever to do that then so mm -hmm. i'm just not the memorization kind of guy i suck at the memory game too the little game you put the cards out and you have to match them Oh. oh, I'm horrible at that. My my niece kicks my butt in that stuff too. So, <laughs> um, so uh, Marari Brass Quintet. I had uh, a former member of my quintet, Glenn Demick, a tuba player. I think was one of the founding members of that group. If I I think you're exactly recall. right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think Jesse Thoman, who is the horn teacher mm -hmm. at University of Tennessee Martin, uh, mentioned Glenn because mm -hmm. part of our residency. Uh, we had a sit down with all the students at Heidelberg at the music department and Jesse got a chance to tell about, you know, the, the history behind the quintet and all the members and stuff. And I think Glenn was mentioned. Yes, you're exactly right. Mm -hmm. that, that's been a, that's been a while ago. Um, that's, that's my understanding too. Yeah. It's, it's been ex in existence for some time, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. In fact, I remember uh, some of the pictures, actually quite a few pictures from this past week uh, on social media. Um, and then this other group, uh, uh, Fifth Bridge. Fifth Bridge. Sorry, I was thinking Far Bridge. It was. It was oh, it's close. totally cool. Yeah, it was close. <laughs> yeah, electroacoustic trumpet ensemble. Is that what you called it? Tell me about it. Yeah. So, I, uh, so for those who are maybe listening to the podcast, I'm pushing my glasses up to mm -hmm. denote how nerdy uh, a thing that is. Um, but yeah, it's it's something that the trumpet professor at Virginia Tech, myself, uh, Kelly Rossum at Christopher Newport. Gabe DiMartino at Eastern Carolina and Ashley Hall uh, mm -hmm. kind of began, and we kind of started it to to originally kick off the idea of collaborating uh, even more nerdy with NASA and a member from the Harvard Center for Astrophysics, 
to help bridge a gap between like scientific data and the arts using the arts is kind of like an avenue to present that data in a different light so that the public can kind of understand a little bit more things about what they're looking at when they see some data and using that to create some kind of presentation in the art and it took several years for us to get that concept and that commission off the ground and so we've just been creating more and more pieces like we have david mm -hmm. samson write us a piece we, the mm -hmm. piece we premiered uh two weeks ago was by uh christopher stark uh, who's a Guggenheim fellow and did stuff with the Los Angeles Philharmonic. Uh, and we've amassed this giant corpus of repertoire now because it's, mm -hmm. it's for an ensemble that doesn't exist. And it's, it's been a blast. It, it's, it's very intense, very nerdy, but it's, it's something new. We're kind of excited about it. So finally, uh, playing trumpet is rocket science. It, technically. Yes, I guess you're right. Right. Uh, so, and that's, that's stuff, a, yeah. That's a great lead in to the fact that uh, I have a trumpeting is not rocket science t-shirt. And if you would like to get that, you can go to the merchandise page on the studio HFL website and get that. In fact, Peyton, I'm going to send you one of those uh, oh, afterwards. That's, that's, that's one of my favorite shirts. Uh, and I Rex Richardson, it. if you want to know what it looks like, go to Rex's uh, social media. You'll see him wearing it and Kiku Collins. And the, there's a whole bunch of others that I've sent it to, but um, uh a few years ago, I started this group, uh, and I was using an, a, a digital guitar pedal and the Yamaha Silent Brass. Now, yep. this is as close as I'm getting to any kind of uh, acoustic, uh, I don't know what you call it. Uh, <laughs> I was going to use a bad word. Uh, anyways, collaborations, I guess. Yeah. yeah, but you know, I was playing all these great guitar solos from uh, the classic rock repertoire. And that was fun. But you guys, I would imagine, are doing probably something a little more um, extensive than that. In, in so many words, yes. To sum it up, yes, we're doing some crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. um, we The piece that we premiered this past, I guess, two weeks ago now, I'm sorry, um, by Christopher Stark, it utilized uh, sound sampling. So we, we like did whispers and things in it. Uh, we have a new another piece by uh, L.J. White, who also teaches at St. Uh, Washington State, St. Louis. Um, mm -hmm. And his piece, we had to make sure that when we started the work, all the entrances we had were exactly right. Because if, if we cracked one thing, the piece would replicate that cycle over and over oh. again throughout the work. And we would just be stuck with somebody cracking a note on it. So we had to make sure that like the stuff we do, it has to be nails so many ways because mm -hmm. a lot of times when you get the sampling process if you get a splia on something that splia will haunt you for the entire piece unless that becomes a theme and then you do variations on the splia, i guess you're right, right? so then every, everyone has to splia so if, if i miss a splia you know my entire ensemble <laughs> has to splia so yeah it's the theme and variation version of of an lj white piece yeah there you go. You can give me some credit on on that. Okay, I'm kind of <laughs> curious. You know, um, I, I spend a little bit of time in the recording studio. There's there's quite a bit that goes on here in Indianapolis with sure. Hal Leonard and FJH Publishing and some others. Um, the writing for trumpet over the last few years has gotten better. Thank goodness. But, right. But one of the things is the, the composers forget that we need to have the horn off the face occasionally. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So. Yes. I'm kind of curious. Are you experiencing that same sort of thing where it's just like you never get to peel I, the horn off? I don't think we have it that much. I think because of the way our ensemble is structured, we have five trumpet players. I think composers typically write 
fairly well for five voices and give you some time to have some things off. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I that that comment brings up a lot of things that I have to talk to my students about because I encourage my students to do a lot of arranging for NTC, um, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Oh, I just followed the orchestral version." Well, a violinist can play for for minutes on end, and right. it's without rest. And I'm like, "You understand that your colleague, your junior colleague who just passed their continuation exam, cannot play a single line with no breath and no rest for for eight minutes straight." You know that, right? And they're like, oh, I didn't realize that. Yes, you have to give them some time to breathe. But professionally, yeah, not everybody's people, Sergei. Yeah. Exactly right. I, I trust me, I cannot circle breathe. Um, yeah. But I will say, it, it is it's been refreshing to not have to worry about those situations with our composition mm-hmm. people. I think we've made a good choice of picking people who kind of understand the trumpet a little bit better, uh, mm-hmm. and it's been kind of a breath of breath of fresh air in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to, to Kelly, uh, what's his writing like for solo? I mean, I played some of his, his, um, bigger works, but what about the solo stuff? Well, the unique thing is, uh, when I talked to my colleagues about this piece, they're always like, this is not sounding to Kelly. Like like, there's elements, Mm -hmm. especially in the third movement, that's more rhythmic and kind of like utilizes small motives. Um, but the first movement of this piece is very angular. It has a slight Mm -hmm. aleatoric kind of motive to it. Uh, a lot of free motion. Uh, I have like a, a portion of it where I have to like, you have to hit 20 uh, notes that speed up and slow down in this time. You're like, but that kind of stuff, which is not often mm-hmm. found in a lot of his other band literature. So this is a very young to Kelly in his writing. And I think mm-hmm. I, it'd be cool to see if he had the opportunity to go back and just rewrite the piece, how much it'd be different from now than what it was in, in the early 90s. But it's it's really cool to to see what he was thinking because it's re- originally wrote it for a mondo guitala, uh, and there's a lot of things in it. Like he uses a, a certain motive that spells like out his uh, initials and things like that. And yeah. it's just cool to see like all the like little idioms that he puts in here that will eventually become the some of the idiosyncratic things that he uses in his band works later on. It's mm-hmm. just really cool. It's young to Kelly, so it's fun. Well, I didn't realize the piece uh, went that far back. Uh, yeah, this, this one in particular, I think this, the way, when I started the conversation with him back in, oh my goodness, I think it was the summer of 2019. Yeah. So be- well before the pandemic started. And I said, mm-hmm. I reached out to him and said, I found your trumpet concerto. I really love it. I would love to utilize some of my university funding through grants to, to help bring that work new light and bring it into the medium it needs to be in some cases to, because people know you in the band world. Mm-hmm. Um, but in in a lot of ways, I think this piece. Larry, what was your question again? I I, I love talking about this work. I'm so sorry. Just I, no, I, no I, that, that that it was that it went back that far. You know, correct. when you're talking about, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's <clears throat> that that got me on the conversation. Sorry about that. My head went somewhere different. Mm-hmm. Um, no, what he when it, my interactions with him via email was he was excited about the project because this is the only work in his entire corpus of repertoire based on what he told me that is not recorded so which is kind of nut to think so it goes all the way back to 1992 mm-hmm. every work since then has been recorded but this one piece has never been touched and so, now you'll so do it's a live recording yes so we're, we're we're doing a bunch of live recordings so we're, we're doing the premiere will be on April 20th. Uh, for those of you listening at home or if, if it's already passed, uh, it'll be on my YouTube eventually. It'll be on my upcoming solo CD. Uh, but if you want to watch it, it'll be on April 20th, and you can find the live stream at uh, music.utah.edu. 
Um, and feel free to watch and comment and say, yo, I'm listening. It'd be great. Um, but no matter what, um, we're going to do the recording. We're doing some punches and stuff leading into it. Just make sure we get some stuff. Um, but I am doing an actual live recording of the concert itself. Yes, sir. So when it comes to choosing solo rep, are you, I, I'm taking it, you're kind of the adventurous. I like a good beating, if you will, uh, in so many ways. <laughs> I, um, I have always been a fan of repertoire that just lets me unleash some stuff sometimes. Mm. Uh, I like, so one composer I'm really drawn to is Joseph Turin. Mm -hmm. uh, I was fortunate enough to win the 2014 National Trumpet Competition on utilizing Joseph Turin's Trumpet Concerto. Um, and even before that, that, that competition, I've always been in love with how he writes, like unique scale choices, angular lines, uh, his kind of like intuitive lyrical style of writing. Like it doesn't always just ha sit inside the same mode. It changes in the middle of a line. And I think he writes in terms of my personal perception. Cause I know some players are like, well, I don't like Justin Turner's work, but what I, I kind of, I kind of do, and I'm drawn to it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel, I feel I do it really well in terms of his mm -hmm. justice. And the cool thing is that the Kelly has elements of Joseph Turin's writing. So it makes, makes me feel more at home, even though it's a composer. Mm -hmm. I don't typically play a lot of his music, obviously, because this is his only solo work. Right. But yeah, I kind of, I like newer pieces. I like the idea of selecting repertoire that hasn't been beat to death. Mm -hmm. um, this, this gets me on the kick, my, my soapbox, if you will. Because this is the repertoire I picked for my CD. I, I, I commissioned four or five new works for trumpet and piano that mm -hmm. I'm just sick and tired of beating to dead, uh, beating to death the the old war horses, if you will. There's validity in those old horses, playing the Ken yep. Kinnon, the Halsey Stevens, all those things. They're, they're wonderful works. But I feel like we're 2022, and a lot of those works are written in what 1950, 1960. I feel mm -hmm. it's time to like let a new breed of composer, let a new voice kind of come into play. Well, it's kind of like the Haydn, the Hummel, and the Neruda, right? It, you still, I think, I, I want my students to know those pieces. Whether or not they perform, Agreed. it's one thing, right? Agreed. And I think even the Artunian, Halsey Stevens, those those works, uh, important to know. But I agree with you. It's nice to have new repertoire, uh, to commission new repertoire, to search out new repertoire. Um, although I find it to be... Now, you, you embrace the difficulty, but I look at this stuff and I'm thinking, this is this is like me climbing to the 90 meter platform, you know, the diving board, and you know, looking down and thinking, well, <laughs> this is the end. <laughs> you, know? you just gotta jump, Larry. You just gotta yeah. jump. No, well, yeah, it's not gonna be pretty. It's not, <laughs> somebody forgot to fill the pool. That's what's oh, gonna feel, happen. Yeah, yeah. I, I, in in my my composition stuff, like, especially the commissions, I like. And I tell the composers this, I'm looking for a piece that challenges me or a student uh, technically a little bit, mm -hmm. but not overextends our technique or utilizes 20th century techniques that just, it's going to take the focus away from building a refinement in a student's practice, mm -hmm. but also a piece that still holds tight in, in a lot of ways to kind of like traditional romantic harmony. So we're able to kind of develop in, in a more traditional way uh, lyricism, musicality, mm -hmm. things like that. Because I don't, I don't want pieces that, um, and this is an oversimplification that is bop boop beep boop bop kind of music, mm -hmm. you know. And it's that that's what I do with Fifth Ridge. That's that kind of music. Mm -hmm. And I think there's there is a place and time for that work, uh, and it's a time when students 
or a place in time in students' uh, lineage or education where they can examine repertoire in that. But I think a lot of times for growing musicians to, to hold on to some traditionalism in composition allows for that, the growth that we're looking for as trumpet teachers, um, both the technical and lyrical side of stuff. Mm -hmm. That growth, I think, is exponential compared to uh, when I was going through school. You know, I mean, every generation is going to say that. I mean, the kids that are coming through school now are like, you know, a generation ahead of where we were. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm right? terrified. Yes. Yeah, and, it's, it's and eventually nuts. it's going to be a sixth grader is going to be, you know, they're going to start learning uh, the Halsey Stevens, <laughs> you know, for yeah first semester I, stuff. I know when I first got my job, um, one of the members of ITG who was serving as the youth solo coordinator or competition coordinator asked me to be a preliminary judge for it. And listening to those tapes of students who are literally in middle school and high school, uh, some of them playing the Joel of a concertina. I'm like, I can't play the Joel of a concertina this good. And I'm like, what am I doing with my life? I just started teaching college and this kid who is from, you know, random school somewhere is playing the ever loving snot out of the Joel of a concertina, like the hard stuff, the stuff in the latter part of the piece. I'm like, this is, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Like I know doctoral students at major institutions that cannot play things this clean and this good. Yeah. Uh, somebody just uh, let me on to, is this William Leathers? Is that the name of this guy that's uh Yes, who just kid? got the Nashville job, I believe. Yeah. I mean, the, <laughs> it's ridiculous Insane. what this guy can do. Yeah. Another young gentleman, um, I, I served as the, the orchestral excerpt chair for ITG uh, up to last year. And mm -hmm. the gentleman who won the excerpt division, James Vaughn, uh, is just as is just as amazing young student. He's playing with Canadian Brass this week, for Pete's sakes. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just wow. like, it is amazing to see and to be surrounded by such tremendous talent at such mm -hmm. a young age. And it makes me feel like crap sometimes because it's like, what am I doing with my life? I'm not playing with Canadian Brass. So, but but it's it's tremendous. They are beautiful, yeah. beautiful players. Um, I'm going to take a quick left turn here. Um, I love it. You you had said uh, your wife is a vocalist with one of the service bands. Which which one was that? Correct. She uh, sings in the U.S. Army Soldiers Chorus, and that is attached to the U.S. Army Field Band. And you guys are separated by about what? 1,873 miles. 1, 1, miles from uh, my house in Salt Lake to her condo in Maryland. Yep. Uh, now, were you in the service? Did you guys meet there, or was this no, in school? No. Uh, or... So she um, was finishing her master's at Eastman when I started my doctorate. Uh, and lo and behold, she pretty much ordered me as a boyfriend. She's like, well, I'd love to have uh, a doctoral <laughs> student, brass player, and I'd love it if they were from the South. Well, that's me, right? Uh, so one of her friends knew me and said, hey, come to my house on Friday for, for dinner. And she invited me and she invited my, my wife. And lo and behold, we hit it off. And now we've been married for six, seven years now. And so um, she, she auditioned for the field band job the, the spring semester of my first year. So she was just graduated. Mm -hmm. Um, and she won it. So she's been in there for eight to nine years now. And, um, she has loved every second of it. And we've mm -hmm. been apart, unfortunately, for what is going to be coming on six years at the start of yeah. the school year. 
but uh, she is moving to me in August because we, we want to have kids and have a family. So is she separating then from the, from the uh, service? She, she is finishing her contract. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And she, um, she's looking forward to teaching elementary music because she runs one of the only children's chorus for the department of defense. It's really cool. It was featured on like today's show and stuff when the pandemic hit. So it's great. Um, yeah, I, I never understood how people could manage the those long distance uh, relationships. It sucks. Uh, it it yeah. sucks a lot. Yeah. I mean, even even you know with uh, Zoom and and other things like that, it just it's not the same. But let's just say your your boy uh, now has Delta Gold status for all the flying he's been doing, so it's been really nice. I get to check two bags for free, so it's it's that's the plus. <laughs> let me tell you, that's the plus. Yeah. Um, okay, so I uh, we're gonna take another left turn. I love it. Uh, well, back to one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you. Let's let's talk about uh, the weight loss aspect. Sure. Um, when and uh, you can, of course, divulge as much or as little as you would like. But uh, what your experience was with this? So I originally went at my heaviest was when I finished my doctorate. I was like three hundred and fifty pounds or so. Uh, I was a big boy, if you will. Um, and I've kind of been big my whole life. And it's just, it's a natural thing. My, my family, we like, you know, we're cold people. We come out of West Virginia, we're just built big, you know? Husky, um, right? That's what yeah, they call yeah. this. That's husky. what my mom said when I was little, but that, that's such a BS thing. Oh, you're just still husky, you're big bones. Or big bones. Yeah. bones. <laughs> I'm the same size bones you do, mom, come on. Mm -hmm. But um, lo and behold, I was not selected in so to speak i have to keep this kind of like in this realm um but i was the last standing member of an army field band audition mm -hmm. uh and it was exciting because i i had the possibility of being with my wife mm -hmm. and without divulging too much information um let's just say i had to lose some weight fast mm -hmm. um obviously i'm not in that position so i didn't lose it fast enough Mm -hmm. Um, but in so many ways, it started me on a process of just continuing that weight loss. Mm -hmm. And I, in a lot of ways, lost weight faster than I needed to for one, mm -hmm. uh, and discovered a lot of things about my playing and myself in that same process. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, from going from someone who never worked out to working out twice a day and mm -hmm. someone who never checked their calorie count who checked their calorie count quite a bit. Mm -hmm. It was literally like you said, you know, taking a sharp left turn. I literally threw the anchor out the back of the boat going 90 is what I did. <laughs> um, and it, it hurt in a lot of ways. And mm -hmm. I discovered a lot of things about, you know, the physical impacts of what it means to put your body in that situation. Um, and I learned a lot about what it means to actually lose weight healthily, healthily. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it was a journey in so many ways, both well, physically, and, socially, and mentally in a lot of ways. Well, and no idea that this is going to affect your trumpet playing one way or the other, right? You're thinking Correct. this is just a physical change, nothing. And so this is where the shock really comes in, right? Yep. It's like, oh, crap. Because you're not expecting anything. Yeah. You're not expecting anything to happen at all. And then when it does happen, it terrifies you. Yeah. Um, because for me at that time in my life, I was I had just finished my doctorate. I had just um, graduated. I had my degree in my hand, and I couldn't play. Mm -hmm. I had uh, 
a lot of student loan debt, a number that I would feel very bad to say out loud on a podcast. Uh, but let's say it's quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and I could not do what I had set my entire life out to do, Mm -hmm. um, because of something else, you know, because I lost so much weight. Well, and another thing that goes along with that is, um, you don't want anybody to know it. Oh my gosh. No. Is is because as soon as they, well, you know, he can't play anymore. They're not going to call me anymore because I can't do this. You know, they're going to hear me. I'm going to get fired, but up, but up, you know, all the, well, you know, it's bad enough that we have that voice talking to us. Uh, we don't Imposter need... Imposter syndrome like crazy. Yeah, it, totally. Right. And that we don't need another voice uh, up there, you know, echoing what's going on now. But, um, okay, so yours was quick. Uh, and and I just had read through the article that you had done, I guess the presentation mm-hmm. you had done for ITG. Sure. Um, and it looked like your weight loss was fairly quick, just a matter of months months in a lot of ways. I mean, obviously when, when you lose weight and, and it, it's seen very quickly in bigger guys or bigger people, like you lose a lot of weight quick and then you start to slow down. Like it's, it's like it tumbles and then it slows itself down. Um, cause your body's really like, wait, you're exercising now. This is, this is not cool. I gotta, I gotta keep some fat around, you know, to keep you alive. Um, but yeah, in a lot of ways I did lose weight fast. Um, and I think there's, there were so many things that I didn't know that I know now that like when I'm losing weight now, uh, the pandemic did not help me. I'll tell you what, Larry, Oh my goodness. Um, so let's just say, let's ignore the pandemic weight your boy put on. Um, but like when I lose weight now, I do it in a way where it's not impacting my playing. I'm Mm -hmm. doing it in a way that, that I understand what's going on. I know what's going to happen and I'm checking all the boxes Mm -hmm. to be, to do it right. Um, but I think what I went through in that initial weight loss, was something that I have heard from multiple people. So you're not the first person to reach out to me saying, oh, I, I want to talk about this because this seems to be a huge thing happening mm-hmm. um, all the time now. Like people are like, they're, they're getting on this health kick, they're losing <clears> weight, <throat> and they don't know how to handle that weight loss, especially when it comes to their playing. Um, I, I liked one of the things that you put in your, your article, your outline, it was about reach out. Right. And, yes. and I said a minute ago, you don't want anybody to know. And there, so there are probably a few people that you trusted that you reached out to. You know, for oh me, goodness, yes. uh, you know, it was Vinny DiMartino, Wayne Bergeron, Bobby Shue. You know, it's, it was kind of nice to, to have some of the connections I've got now because I, I could call these people. I knew Wayne had gone through some because of the, the cancer treatment, the radiation that he had gone through. Um, I was calling all kinds of people saying, uh, Nancy Taylor, Nancy, you know, uh, have you had anybody in your studio that's gone through this? You know, I was just trying to find somebody that had an answer somewhere. Yeah. And uh, Bobby has been, of course, he knows everything about anatomy and physiology. Yes. I mean, he knows everything. <laughs> uh, and uh, one of the things that I found out, it wasn't just the weight loss. Um, we can talk more about this uh, in a second, but... I think the actual state of being in ketosis is one of the things that that is the most negative has the most negative effect. It's one thing to lose mass, but I think the actual when your body is in that state of ketosis, there's something chemically that's going on that is just it wrecks everything. And I think it also helps. Yeah, because these these are very small muscles, right? Mm -hmm. And so like you can lose weight in your arm and you're like, oh, I'm a little weaker. It's like whatever. You can still pick groceries up. But like when you lose weight here, um, 
it hurts the muscles. Like you are damaged physically sucking the life mm. out of your muscles. Mm. Um, and for me, like the thing that I realized, and, and I, I think I, it's been a while since I wrote the article, but like, it's, I, when you change your body, you are changing your instrument in a lot of ways. Um, and so that was something I wasn't expecting. Cause like I mm-hmm. apparently when I was, you know, the big guy that I was when I finished my doctorate, I was using my air and my body a certain way to support the sound that I wanted. And when I lost that, you know, quote unquote, you know, finger quotes, resonant chamber, it affected a lot of stuff. Well, resonant chamber, yes, but also gravity, right? I mean, when you're, when you've got all this extra weight up top, right? I mean, you don't have to do a lot of compression, right? I mean, gravity just kind of pulls all that (laughs) weight around and moves the air for you. So yeah, you have to relearn how to use your core, how to move the air proactively. Uh, that was, that was a huge thing. Uh, I love watching, of course, (laughs) I love watching videos now, especially with my students of like Maurice Andre, because Mm -hmm. he was kind of a big fella, you know, and like, Mm -hmm. he's always playing like very small and tight, like horns, but you know, he had to use a little bit of his gut Mm -hmm. to support and kind of create the air that he needed to have the sound he did. And so that's something that like, I took for granted. I was just like, I looked at myself in the mirror. I'm like, I'm fat. I got to get rid of this fat. And then I didn't think, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know how to play with mm-hmm. this fat or this mass on your body. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's something that I never thought I would have to address. I thought everything was going to be positive through the whole process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that one day you wake up and you can't play a G above the staff. Or you can once and then you know there's no response the next time around but then yes. you can so there's the the whole inconsistent aspect you know and having zero endurance right oh it's my one gosh. thing to lose your range but then to feel like you know you you can't hang on to anything right yes yeah. it's, um it's terrifying <laughs> i mean truly i i think i would rather jump off a 90 meter platform into uh, a pool with no water yeah go, I, I honestly yeah. sometimes yeah. me too larry yeah because yeah. like the Obviously, the expectations you have for yourself in your practice session. So when you you spent your entire life picking your horn up and in some ways having a sound or a voice come out that you expect and that one day it doesn't happen and the next day it doesn't happen. The day after that never happens. And the, the other tail end of all this conversation is, yes, you, you hear and you feel the physical, but the one thing that beats you up the most is the mental and it, I, I was seeing a therapist and I was talking with my therapist, like, why, why is it doing this way? And they always talk about like, you know, the myelin sheath about like, you know, doing something and you connect it the right way and you build the right kind of protein connector in your brain. Well, when I lost that weight, I was having to kind of reteach myself how to play, but I was teaching myself in a way just to get the sound out. Mm-hmm. And so I was doing all these things the wrong way. And I wasn't trying to be smart about the restructure of what I was using. The apparatus changed, the size of it, all these things. And I was not being smart about it at all. So Bobby calls it neuroplasticity. You know, basically your your brain was sending signals to your muscles to do one thing when your body was a certain way. Yep. But as the body changed, you have to the brain has to send different signals. So there's a Correct. there's a process you have to go through that is very intentional. Um, and I, I've been very grateful. Uh, Bobby just checked in with me a couple of days ago to ask how things were going. You know, it's Perfect. like, um, because it, this is, this is something new even for him is dealing with the whole ketosis 
uh, thing. So he's, you know, I feel um, like I'm a, one of his guinea pigs. You know, he's checking on <laughs> on me to see if, you know, if I'm still alive. But uh, yeah, uh, so mine was pretty quick too, but I didn't do it. I did bariatric surgery okay. was how I had done it, but 180 pounds in about seven months. That's, that's, that sounds pretty fast. That's fast. And, uh, but I did it healthfully, healthily, yep. uh, you know, under doctor supervision. Um, Good. but there again, you know, that it, almost from the beginning and in a time 2020 where hadn't touched the horn, right? Like most of us maybe for a little bit had put, there's no gig, there are no gigs, right? There's no teaching. It's just, so with the horn, you don't pick it up. Yeah. That didn't help, right? You know, I was I was already out of uh, out of practice, literally. Um, yeah, so that didn't help things. But um, things are getting better, you know. And I always try to think if you go through something like this, um, there's got to be a reason. And it's like, okay, I can be a help to someone, someone else along the way, right? It's like even having this conversation right here, right now, yes. or you yeah. doing the presentation at ITG is to, to let people know that, you know what, uh, you're not alone. You're not the only yes. one who's gone through this. There is a light at the end of the tunnel and it's not a train headed right at you. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, I think there's, uh, I'm grateful for all the struggles I've had in my, in my playing because as I've overcome them, it's like, okay, now I can relate to my students a little yes. bit better. I think the same thing all the time. I mean, the mm -hmm. things that I had to readjust in my playing, um, I use now more with my students because I think not many of my students were my size. Mm -hmm. Very, If any, no, my, none of my students were my size. Mm -hmm. And so now that I, I've gone down, I wait, I'm getting a little bit back, and I've gone down, I'm getting a little bit back. You know how it is. It's the fluctuation. You know, stress mm -hmm. the job, whatever it may be. Uh, you know, COVID-19 made a big thing, so yeah. Um, but the things that I learned in the kind of getting back up on the horse, I use more often than not just, you know, checking the, the balance of lip and air, kind of diving back into mm -hmm. what Jim Thompson taught me at Eastman, uh, and then kind of retooling it a little bit um, to fit what I needed to feel right, to feel comfortable mm -hmm. with a new system. Mm -hmm. Because you, in some small way, you kind of have to teach yourself how to replay the instrument again. Like you understand the basic fundamentals of it, but it's a different thing. So I know Jim is big into buzzing. Of course, yes. you know, he's, he's written a book or two yeah. about that. <laughs> um, and that's actually one of the things that Bobby uses in, in this as well. Um, in your studies with Jim, were you doing a lot of buzzing already? Not before I started with him. And to be honest with you, when I started my doctorate with Jim, um, I ended up being like, oh, I could do buzzing. And I got the book and played through the book and i was like oh this is not bad and then i realized i hurt myself mm. and then he i get to my second lesson he's like what's going on it's like i've been doing the buzzing he's like how many are you doing i said i'm doing one through ten one through eleven he's like, we haven't even got past the first page yet why are you doing all those i said because you know i should I, this looks pretty easy he's like that's not how it works he said mm -hmm. so you hurt yourself we have to back it back up and start mm -hmm. over again mm -hmm. and in full disclosure when I study with him, I, I follow through the tracks with him, and I and I didn't I didn't see a whole lot of progress in buzzing with him. But when I graduated, and I had this instance happen to me, no joke, I I it, it was almost like a giant epiphany. It's like 
that's what he's talking about. And mm-hmm. I, I see more validity in understanding that lip air balance than than when I studied with him. Now mm-hmm. than I, than then. Sorry, it was a weird way to say that. But yeah, mm-hmm. like I can speak about it way more efficiently, way more personally mm-hmm. because of my time, the weight loss stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he, he did a beautiful job explaining why he did the things he did in the book. But at the end of the day, I think going through my circumstance, yeah, now I use buzzing and I have all those tools. To so, you, you know, there's the, the argument, of course, the, the one side that says, uh, you know, we don't actually uh, buzz our lips when we play. Yep. You know, it's the standing wave and, you know, yep. you can get into that. But there is, um, there is, uh, validity is not the right word. There is something very purposeful and useful about buzzing. Uh, I think a, a lot of ear training, right? I mean, you, yep. you've got to place the pitch, right? And you yeah, kind of know exactly. whether you're putting the right information into the mouthpiece. But um, there's... Uh, a lot of usefulness for that. I'm still struggling with the right word for that, but uh, hopefully you know what I mean. But I mean, like it, his, his concept of, of a buzzing, you know, it, so to speak goes along the lines with like the Chicago idea of like sing, buzz, play, that kind of stuff. Like the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the song and wind, like all these elements are always coming back to buzzing in some way. And yes, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways, yeah, you're not buzzing your lips when you play trumpet, you're activating the air you're just, bouncing off the sound wave i I get it i 100 percent understand that Mm -hmm. but like i think the best way to describe what i'm listening for when i buzz uh, i actually got from max madsen dr max madsen he's the one of my colleagues here in the state of utah he teaches at utah Mm -hmm. state and he says when he does buzzing uh he listens for like almost like this spit kind of sound to it Mm -hmm. where it's not as a as big and full as you want it to be but it is a projection in it because you're having the air be the catalyst for sound rather than you having to control the air with the lips. So mm-hmm. when you listen for that kind of spittle sound a little bit, it's, it's, it matches more the buzzsaw effect that Thompson was talking about in his lessons rather than you having a clear, beautiful sound that you're controlling with your lips. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that helped me understand quicker about that air balance that I needed mm-hmm. to figure out in my playing when I lost my weight. Mm-hmm. And, and just to throw another, uh, aspect in uh, one of Bobby's things with before the, even the buzzing is the flutter. You know, he does a lot just with just activating everything here before you even get to the, to the buzz. So anybody out there that wants to find out more, contact Bobby, uh, get some lessons with him. Cause yeah, uh, he's, he's kind of helped save my bacon. <laughs> what's, save what's, your left, bacon. what's left, what's left that. of it? So, save my bacon. I'm, I'm using that from now on Larry. Yeah. Well, there's another t-shirt. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Save my bacon. Uh, okay. Um, another left turn. Uh, you had referred to NTC earlier, and NTC's coming up next week, I think. Yep. Uh, many of the students have started traveling as we're recording this podcast on mm-hmm. with the 29th of March. Uh, my my students travel tomorrow. Uh, I stay here because I'm working on my recording, but mm-hmm. my students go tomorrow. Um, so yeah, it's coming right up. Have you got soloist and trumpet ensemble going? We just have soloists. So mm-hmm. this year we, we had a trumpet ensemble, but there was a lot of, it was around the time we had the, the Omicron variant and it was just mm-hmm. kind of beating the crap out of our ensemble and we weren't able to get enough rehearsals in and, we, and our policies at the university when the students get interact with a student that has COVID, they have to quarantine. So they're mm-hmm. off campus. It was just, it was just not the right semester for us to really gung at it, uh, gung ho at it a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but the solo side of stuff worked out pretty well. So I'm, I'm excited for my students that are going. Uh, back when you had competed, uh, how mm-hmm. many years did you did you participate in that? Uh, I'm going to sound stupid. I only did one. I was a one and done in so many ways. I know. I, t- I, I hate saying <laughs> it. But it, it, I never – but the thing about it is, like we talked about before, like there's a sense of imposter syndrome, right? And mm-hmm. so even though I was – the teaching assistant for Jim Thompson at the Eastman School of Music, I never thought I was good enough to do it my first year. Mm-hmm. I had done trumpet ensemble stuff. Like the Eastman trumpet ensemble went my very first year. And mm-hmm. when I was at Virginia Tech, we took our trumpet ensemble back in 2008. And so like I never thought I was good enough as a soloist until Jim was like, I'm going to put on my gym voice. It's like, oh, just go do it. Like, sorry, that's, that's just how it is. Yeah. Just go do it. And I was like, all right, mm-hmm. fine. I, I guess I should be doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I picked a piece that I fell in love with, and it was kind of sits in my wheelhouse a little bit. Um, what was that? The Joseph Turin trumpet concerto. Oh, well, Turin back to Turin yeah, again. That's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, see, I told you, that's why I. I mean, it's not that that piece started me on the love of like the way he writes, uh, mm-hmm. but it was a part of that journey. And so for me, like, yeah, I, I did one NTC and I won the thing. Uh, I'm blessed. I'm very fortunate. I, I made a lot of friends. I'm sure I made a lot of enemies for doing that, but I, but those people that I, that I competed against were colleagues. Now, um, mm-hmm. one people that was in the finals with me was Jenna Oliverio. Uh, and she teaches at Oakland university and I had her out for a masterclass for my students, uh, mm-hmm. last year. And then she had me out for a masterclass for her students. Mm-hmm. And it's just, for me, it's, I've been viewing NTC more as kind of like, it's a great place for you to go like, do the competition stuff, see if you can get some mm-hmm. money, but get some chance to perform in front of people and peers and trumpet teachers mm-hmm. from all over the country. But at the same time, connect with students that you're going to be working elbow to elbow with in the trenches when you start your career. Mm-hmm. It's it's nuts. Uh, it's terrifying. Is I, I never did it, you know, but I look at it and I'm thinking, who in their right mind? <laughs> it's like it's like performing at ITG. Yes. You couldn't. You couldn't pick a more stressful to me. Pick a more stressful place. I've done it I multiple times, per- and it's terrifying. Yes. I'd rather perform for a whole bunch of euphonium players, right? Because they're not paying attention. They never look up. They never. You know, it's like that's <laughs> it's a safe. Their bells, like two players, it's a yeah. safe audience, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm drawing a blank on uh, Phil. Uh, you're going to remember his name. Uh, plays down in Knoxville. In Knoxville. Oh, Phil Chase Hawkins. Chase Hawkins, yes. Yeah, Chase. We yeah. we looked the same when I won NTC. Oh, so like people well, and like, I was thinking oh, you guys like, were. No, I'm Payton. No. Yeah, about but about the same time, exactly. Yeah, yep. that's what I was thinking. Uh, and another, uh, I brought him up because another person who really I think goes after the newer repertoire. Yes, uh, it was weird because when I won NTC. Uh, Chase was actually coming back to Eastman to do a master class the next week. So he mm-hmm. stayed at my apartment the night I won because we drove back after the award <laughs> ceremony. So he was giving a master class at back at Eastman that mm-hmm. week. And it was just like, cool, great, come on, stay in the house. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's he he has a very um wonderful way of approaching your rep. Like I he's talked about it a bunch and it's just he is well into the new the new rep. I'm holding finger mm-hmm. quotes on a podcast. How good is this? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's well well into holding uh, a more focus in the new rep than I am. 
I still like a little bit of traditional values of trumpet piano with that kind of romantic kind of tie. He's into playing like Litany and Maxwell Davies and stuff like that. And I'm like, I am not ready to tackle that bridge just yet. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I'm thinking about, um, it, we've taken enough left turns. We're probably headed back in that first direction. I love it. Right? I love it's it. Like, yeah. Um, I was thinking like about the, in, um, oh my gosh, bridge. Um, fifth bridge. Fifth bridge. I keep wanting to say fast bridge or fart. I don't know why. Fifth bridge. Uh, Ashley Hall, right? You had mentioned, mm-hmm. um, which I, I'm going to talk to Ashley in, a, in about a week and a half. And I'm really looking forward to that. When you uh, do, talk please to... tell her, Peyton says, hey. I will. Good. Um, I'm going to come back to her in a second. Of course, Gabe DiMartino. Um, Gabriel, man, you know, he is like. I don't know if, if the, your experience with him, but he is like super focused and super oh analytical about everything. Um, like and I, who's the I other person listening. in the group? So it's uh, Jason Crafton, who is the trumpet Jason. professor at Virginia Tech. Uh, and then Kelly mm-hmm. Rawson, who's a trumpet teacher at Christopher Newport. Okay. Uh, sorry, you were going to say something about Gabriel. Oh, I was just like, like you're exactly right. Gabe is, is so like... There, there's another level of analysis or another layer of analysis that mm-hmm. I will never get to, but he's yeah. just like, I'm already here. I'm living in it. Look at this. And I'm like, <laughs> you, you, you brought a bass trumpet to play, to warm up on. Like he'll, he'll start in the bass trumpet and work his way up through the instrument. So I'm just like, I brought a B flat. That's where we're playing. We're playing this whole thing yeah. today. So it's how it's going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, it, okay. So I want to go back to, I'm looking forward to talking to Ashley because uh, what's the, what's the name of the, the, thing that she does i'm sorry i'm drawing a blank here oh it's, it's like, like the whole the, coaching, the coaching the... yeah coaching whole lifestyle stuff yeah 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 uh, it's it's been blowing up and she's been amazing at it she's such a good person for that stuff well and you mentioned imposter syndrome right i wonder mm-hmm. you know is mm-hmm. that have you guys ever discussed that just between the two of you not between the two of us i i i feel in so many ways when i'm around ashley ashley's such such a BA player. Like she's just on it. Like sometimes the rest of us are just like, Ashley, why are you playing with us? You're too good for us Mm. because she is, she is such an amazing player. Her lyricism, her sound, her technicality Mm. stuff. She's, I just feel like we're, she, we're weighing her down in a lot of ways. Um, Mm. But I, I don't think I've ever had that conversation with her. I get, I get that way sometimes when I'm around like, professor colleagues a lot and i know i know she mm. teaches at longi um but she doesn't view herself as a professor i just i i get that way a lot because i i feel like i've never done enough to be equal mm. to some of my professor colleagues and that's where my imposter syndrome kicks in i i think of myself as, as a fairly decent player um i mean i have things to improve on obviously duh but like when it comes to like writing or being a really good administrator and stuff like that that's where i dig into the imposter syndrome uh, yeah, the, it, right. There's this aspect of I'm going to be found out. Yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really, I think, a big part of it. Um, and uh, along that line, I learned not a uh, couple of years ago, you know, have you heard petered out if somebody's petered out, you know, the oh Peter gosh, principle. Yeah. Oh, right. I mean, out, yeah. yeah. So it's the same thing. If you eventually get to the point to where your incompetence <laughs> catches <laughs> up with you. Right. Yeah, totally. Um which is probably me and this podcast tonight. You know, I'm really oh, you're doing, that... you're, Larry, you're killing it. You are the best <laughs> MC I've ever had. Oh, this is amazing. Oh, 
Well, and now you're going to say this is the only interview you've done, right? So that's no, I've qualifies. done quite a bit, so you're good. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Thank you. Um, I have a lot that of fun race. doing this. You know, I love I love doing these. These are so much fun, especially with a new person I've never met. Oh, yeah. I just get to have a blast. It's perfect. Um, I uh, I think we're like instant friends. It's like why waste time? You know, trying to go through all the uh, the process of getting to know somebody. Let's just start out True. by being friends and, and get to love it. it. So, um, and I don't, are you going to be at ITG? I will be at ITG. Well, and, and then this is a small little plug. If you want to bring your golf clubs to ITG, we're running the very first ever golf scramble that will raise money to help contribute to the Ryan Anthony Scholarship Fund. It happens on the Tuesday, uh, right before ITG starts. Do you need a beverage cart driver? Uh, I think we won't have enough beverage carts on that course. We're all tournament players. It's San Antonio. It's hot in Texas. They might need four or five. So, Larry, I, mean, I can put your name in for if you want. That is the only thing I'm qualified to do on a golf course. I'm just telling well, if, you. Well, if you leave the cooler open and speed off real fast and stuff's going to fly out, we're going to give you a good tip. So, uh, when I was in the service, uh, I was stationed in uh, the Pentagon in D.C., <clears throat> as opposed to the Pentagon anywhere else. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, so once a year, the department would go over to bowling or Andrews. I forget where the, they went for the golf course. And being the rank I was, I only qualified to drive the beer cart, the, the beverage Seriously? cart. Oh my gosh. Now, nobody told me, don't drive up on the green. <gasps> nobody told me, don't yell across the course. Hey, did anybody want anything? You know, I mean, I had no idea about etiquette, right? Oh my gosh! <laughs> now, I'm excited for the Masters next week, and I can imagine if anybody did any. Well, they don't have cards at Augusta, but like, yeah. if anybody yelled at Augusta, oh my gosh, it'd be over. Right. So uh, I learned pretty quickly, and and I'll I'll say I only made it onto the very edge of the green before you know everybody had a heart attack, uh, <laughs> and, and you know then I I steered myself away, but. Um, yeah, what again. you just do is you, you just you find the highest ranking person's ball on the green and you drive a cartwheel right from the through the wheel right to the hole. You say, sir, I got you covered. Mission accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, um, that would have been, you, you know, how much brass was out there? Oh, I can imagine. I can yeah. imagine. Yeah. So, boy, that's that was ages ago. Um, you know what? Had I stayed in, I, I would have had 30 years. By this point, I could and have you would retired. never have to drive the car, the cart anymore. You'd no. just be straight up golfing the whole time. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, uh, my family really likes to do uh, miniature golf. You know, any we they kind of search out anytime <laughs> we go on vacation, they search out a, a mini golf course. Uh, I grew that's... up in Virginia, so we went to Myrtle Beach all the time, and that's all we mm -hmm. did. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never seen I've never seen any myrtles out there though. At, Mer at Myrtle Beach. Yeah, at Myrtle Beach. Yeah, so. I, I always think it's it's for me, it's just kind of like this is this is the place that everyone from my hometown goes for senior day mm -hmm. or senior week, whatever it is after high school. And it's just like, oh, this is very touristy. So I'm kind of done with Myrtle Beach. So uh, let's go back to Utah for a second then. Um, Perfect. How, how close are you to uh, Salt Lake City? Uh, I my university is on the hill that overlooks it. So like I live uh, I currently live in Taylorsville, which is a suburb of Salt Lake. And. You know that there's a Suzuki, Intermountain Suzuki Institute mm -hmm. there. Kira Savronsky runs it. I know Kira very I well. was just going to ask. I mean, what a wonderful person. She is amazing. I love Kira. She I, was actually... part of my Suzuki class. No um, joke. So you've taken the oh, class yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've done book one and two. 
oh my gosh, that's awesome. Yeah, I've been trying to get my students to do it because like, yes, there's some things that like, that you need, you need to teach at least like high school or college level students a different way. But there's so many elements in Suzuki that I think could be like telegraphed or transcribed into higher education that are just beautiful ways of teaching people how to, how to do stuff like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, so here's a plug for uh, there's book one, book two, maybe even book three training out there in person. Uh, I think there's also an online course, but in person. So if anybody wants to uh, to check that out, you can just Suzuki Trumpet, you know, Google that and, and you're going to come uh, on uh, the dates and, and all the information for that. But I would highly recommend it, you know, even if you're not going to teach it, you know, I think knowing that the process, the method, uh, but I can't imagine that you'd go through it and then not, not want to teach. Um, well, I think like for me, I've been, it, when, when Kira sends me email, she's like, we're doing a clinic here. shows for the students. I always attach this long drawn out paragraph. I mean, like, like you need to be the best educator you can be. And this is one Avenue that's never explored in any music education class. Mm -hmm. Get on it, go look it up, be a part of it. Because I think what Kira is like one of, one or two like trumpet people in the United States that actually is certified to teach it. Well, like, there's, there's there, not many. No, there are. Let's see. In the book one class we did back in February, there were nine of us. Gotcha. Okay, so it, it's and way bigger than I thought it was. Good. Big two. Well, but still, that's just about a hundred worldwide. I mean, that's, so, that's insane. You know, that's so, so crazy. Yeah. So uh, now here's a, here's a fun fact. Jim Markey. Uh, based oh on yeah. Boston, right? He was in my class, you know? So, I mean, we're talking, you know, people That's of so cool. every, yeah. Well, you, and you should, you should Google his, or uh, go on YouTube and look up his studio because it's insane what he's doing with the trombone and Suzuki. That's so cool. Okay. I'll check it yeah. out. Cause, I, cause um, there is, like I said, there's so many things about the basic principles of Suzuki that benefit students. Because like learning things in rote, obviously, is is how most of us sing in the car. We're not looking at sheet music of stuff in the car. We're just modeling mm -hmm. sound. And I, when I teach trumpet, I talk about that all the time because like oh, we're learning a language, so model my sound. And I think it's it's such a great thing. Um. So I'm actually doing a session at ITG on Suzuki. Suzuki. No trumpet. joke. What day is it? I, I don't know yet. I, I have. I don't know if we've gotten assignments on. On any of that. ITGConference.org, I think, is the last thing. I'm planning on being there the whole time. So, you know, Perfect. it doesn't matter when it when it's going to well, be. Well, as soon as I find it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come in your audience and be like, whoa, Larry. <laughs> you, okay, thank you for not saying you're going to heckle me. That that would be the worst. No, why would I heckle you? You're doing a great conference. Oh, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I know somebody's already done a session on this, um, but, you know, this will be my take on it and I was talking to Kathy Leach a couple days ago and talking about it and I said you know maybe I should get to work on actually putting this presentation together <laughs> it's only two <laughs> months away but you know it's it's, the, the, you know I, I of course I had to submit an outline and, and all of that and, and I've got it it's all up here it's just it's, I know that's how it always organized. is all, yeah. all of my grants that I have left to write no they're all up here that's right yeah yeah um, boy, the world just gets smaller and smaller. You know, mentioned somebody like Kira, and uh, oh yeah, and she lives here in town. I played Utah yeah. Symphony stuff with her before. It's it's great. Yeah, um, I'm hoping to meet her at either a Suzuki conference or ITG at some point. Um, and I actually might be coming out to Salt Lake City late summer for uh, or late June, I think, for the Suzuki stuff. If that's the case, uh, I might oh, knock on your door. Come on out, Larry. Let's yeah. do this. <laughs> 
So, um, holy cow, man, you've done a lot of stuff. And you're only what, like 29? I mean, I'm 34. Come down. I know I look oh. young because I'm very oily. My wife gets mad at me. She's like, you never have to put lotion on. It's like, no, because I'm really oily. So <laughs> my skin's going to look youthful forever, as she says. Uh, wait, you're only 34? Mm -hmm. oh, holy cow. And to have done as much as you've... Uh, yeah, that's impressive. If it means anything, I'm pre-tenure. So there's a reason I'm working really, really hard. <laughs> so how far away? I put my file forward for external review next month. Ah, uh, well, good luck with everything. So if those listening, if you get a, a mention from me, please be nice. Please be nice, external reviewers. Um, how long is that process supposed to take I mean, once you submit everything? So our, our RPT, our Retention, Promotion, and Tenure Guidelines at the University of Utah, uh, we're putting a new version of them forward, and they're going to become effective July. But because I was hired before those came into effect, we're using mm -hmm. the ones from 2008. Um, but my process is it's a six year tenure process. Mm -hmm. Uh, they give me an official review in year three and unofficial reviews all the other years. Um, but the tenure review process is in May, my director sends out my tenure file portfolio to external reviewers. They write letters saying, um, kind of like peer review in the field. Oh, this person is meeting your expectations. They're a good contributor to our field, yada, yada, yada. And then they send letters back. And those letters accompany my file from the university, like the School of Music uh, Review Committee, then the College of Fine Arts, then our dean reviews it, and then it goes mm. uh, to a university panel and then to the president itself. And it takes all year. So in 2023, <laughs> I, I will know sometime through the semester. Leave it to academia to... Tell me about it. I know. To take forever, right? I know. Just Can we just do it like digitally? Like, give me a, a thumbs up or thumbs down, kind of like a Zoom meeting. Great. Just let them have it. Yeah, great. Perfect. Wow. It's it's like how they say, you know, you can't turn a, a ship on a dime. It takes forever, right? To, it, it, Yeah. So it's kind of that way with academia. Well, yes. I, I and I said good luck, but I know it's not luck. I mean, you've put in a lot of hard work on preparing that. that. So, yeah. It's it's something um, that I've I've had a lot of faculty like mentor talk to me about because I'm very I don't say I'm paranoid, but I'm I'm always I'm never confident about it. And again, it's the imposter syndrome. Like, have I done enough? Have mm -hmm. I done enough for this? And all mm -hmm. my colleagues are like, calm down. You're fine. You have, you've well met our expectations above and beyond. But I keep going back to the adage. It's like 10 years never guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to stop until I get it. And honestly, Larry, mm -hmm. because of who I am as a person, I'm not going to stop once I get it. Because I've got a lot of stuff I still have left to, to do and plan for. Mm -hmm. So your boy ain't going to slow down. So... Uh, had this been a goal of yours all along is to, to teach at the university level? Yeah, I, um, when I started my undergrad, I was talking with this, with the students at Heidelberg, um, shout out to Heidelberg if you're listening, woo, woo, woo. Uh, but in a lot of ways, um, yeah, I started out to be a band director and because I wanted to do what my band director did for me is create this mm -hmm. beautiful love for music and, and just kind of fall in love with it. I wanted to have students do the same thing. And then John Adler, who was my teacher then, uh, he's at Northern Colorado now, was like, mm -hmm. you're pretty decent. You should consider just adding the performance thing to your degree um, mm -hmm. because it doesn't require – at Virginia Tech, the way the curriculum is structured, it doesn't mm -hmm. require a whole lot of new things outside of what the education route was. Mm -hmm. So it was just an extra result. I was like, great, I'll do that. And then lo and behold, I went to University of Miami uh, and studied – I was a TA for Craig Morris there. For my master's mm -hmm. and I still was kind of like in this performance route where I wanted to now be a player um, instead of a teacher 
And then he gave me the opportunity my second year of my master's uh, to do some private instruction. And I really fell in love with it, hmm. like fell in love with it. And because of that, I was like, well, I need to get a doctorate if I want to do this for a living. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, I went to the best place that I thought would be the best place for me to go. And it's the Eastman School of Music. So I went to Eastman for my doctorate. And I was Jim's TA for all three years. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was a blast. And so, yeah, it's, it's, I've kind of had this trajectory, this mindset. It's like when I want something, I'm, I'm going to go for it. I'm not going to stop mm -hmm. till I get it. And it's been a blessing and a curse because of mm -hmm. the way I operate. Um, but I couldn't be happier, Larry. Like I, I love my job. I love my students. With the playing side of things, were you always solo focused or did you do a lot of orchestral or ensemble? I mean, obviously when you're in school, you, you want to vary things up a little bit. I, one thing that I, I've been, I was telling my brass quintet with, uh, over this past week, I was like, I've been really, um, lucky to to have them select me to take over for the trumpet position in that group because i never had a whole lot of brass quintet experience in my my, my degrees as a whole mm -hmm. um and so it's an area of my performance that needs to improve and i feel like i'm 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 driving it i'm, I'm mm -hmm. getting much better at playing because i had that experience mm -hmm. um but in a lot of ways larry i've been really solo focused a lot of my life like i i like excerpts to a extent mm -hmm. um and, and I, I obviously I liked the military band excerpts because mm -hmm. I had success, if you will call it success, mm -hmm. uh, in the film band audition. But in a lot of ways, I love solos, and I think that's why I'm, I'm drawn to the turret stuff, and I'm drawn to mm -hmm. NTC, the soloist set of stuff, because that's that's just something that really connects with me. I like I, I like being, not that I'm a diva, but I, I like presenting who <laughs> I am in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. uh, in front of an audience because I, I like to goof around on the stage too. Like um, I was talking to one of my doctoral students today. I was like, we were talking about stage deportment um, because he's leaving to go th do the national trumpet competition. And we're mm -hmm. like, when you walk out, do this, 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 think about this, think about, because when you walk out, the judges obviously are scoring you on musical stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. But in the back of their mind, they're visually scoring you, which will affect their judgment mm -hmm. on the oral stuff they're supposed to be judging you on. So it's like you have to present yourself visually and, you know, through your performance in a very positive way. So we're talking mm -hmm. about smiling when you come out and all this stuff. And I was telling him, I was like, it's okay to be a little bit of a goofball as long as you're a, you're a great player. Like I, the example I used was like there's a key change or like a little trans uh, – uh, fun chord, if you will, going into the faster section of mm -hmm. Kevin McKee's Centennial Horizon, where it's like a, like a really crunchy chord before we get into mm -hmm. like the uh, the build up. And mm -hmm. I always I'll kind of stand at the piano, and then I'll when I wait for that chord, I'll kind of like do a face to the audience, like ooh, they're fun. <laughs> but I, I just I like like stupid <clears throat> stupid little stuff like that. I know it's childish, but I no, love no, interacting no. audiences that way. It, it's not stupid. And and one of the first things I do when I walk out is I try to break that fourth wall. I, yes. I think that is, for me, that's the only way I'm going to survive. Yep. Because if I pretend that they're not there, right, never look out there, I'm I'm done. Correct. You know? And I, I think I think that's part of the best way to word it, Larry. Like, I want to break the fourth wall. And I know people will say, when you go out there, don't look at people in the audience. I look at people and I'll smile at them. I'll say, hey. And make them nervous, know? right? Why yeah, is he looking yeah, at me? Yeah, exactly. Why is he looking at me? <laughs> I'll wave them. I'll point. I'll say, hey. Yeah. Some kid was wearing... um. 
I did a solo recital a while back and some kid was wearing a cool shirt and I had this long rest account and I was like pointing at him. I was like, Hey, I like that shirt. That's a nice shirt. And he was like, what are you, is he looking at me? And I, he, his, <laughs> once he realized that he was just, no, I was, that's how, who I was mm-hmm. like his demeanor, James, he was in, he was in it with me. Yeah. Like he was more connected to me than, than if he just, if I never said anything, it was great. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think audiences appreciate that connection, right? I mean, they, that you recognize that they're there. Yeah. I think that's huge. And I, um, I, lo- I love seeing the reactions when, when they realize that you, mm-hmm. you're not just up there playing for them. You're there with them. Mm-hmm. Um, man, Chase, this has been a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah, t- t- thanks. I know I'd look just <laughs> like him. Whatever. Yeah. Um, man, I tell you what. Was... Too. We talked about this with him, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, that was He was one of my first interviews. I really, really enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. I love Chase. Um, going way back now. Three years. Like, almost three years. But Holy crap, Larry. Um, man, this has been a blast. You know, I love everything dude. Oh, well, thank you. I, and I appreciate your time. I, I say this to everybody, but I really do appreciate it. I know we, it's you know an evening where we could all be doing, you know, watching Netflix or, or practicing. <laughs> you know, I don't watch Netflix. Yes. I, just, I practice scales, right? I like how you said that, but I'm sure you watch Netflix too. You're just trying to say oh, that yeah. on, your, on your podcast. I get you. I get you. Well, Good I, cover, I can, Larry. Well, I watch Netflix while I practice. How about that? I think a lot of people do that. <laughs> I have made my way through Ozarks uh, with plenty of things going on in the background there. I love that show. Oh my gosh, it's so good! I can't wait for the second half of the last season to come out. I'm so pumped about it. I okay, well, not to, to do a spoiler for anything, but uh, you know the way this this last season opened. Oh yeah, because the way the, you, the season previous that it ended, yeah. You knew well. I mean, it's the writing for that show. I mean, it, it couldn't be any darker. Oh, I love it! I love it. And my wife is just now watching it for the first time, and I'm like. How are you not watch this yet, babe? And yeah. she she texts me the day she's like, "Oh my gosh, this person killed this person." I was like, "You have no idea what's about to come your way." She's not even done with season one yet, but I think she's falling in love with it. It's great. Well, you know, uh, I don't know if you were an Arrested Development fan, but you know, oh my Jason gosh, Jason Bateman, Bateman, baby! It could not be uh, uh, more of a one eighty, right? I mean, the characters oh are gosh. so different. Well, no, they're they're alike in that they're so dysfunctional. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, I've but, always been hoping that he would do some kind of reference like the monies and the banana stand in Ozark. Oh, I think that'd, oh, yeah. be, that'd be such a cool little like little tip of the hat. Um, yeah, I, I like that. I don't think it's uh, it's cheesy when when people do that for others. Uh, we I just saw something <laughs> this weekend. It'll come. Anyways, um, well, good Ozark. Uh, there's another uh, series. Um, it's not quite as dark, but Better Call Saul, right? That's another one I'm waiting oh, for the my next. Gosh. I have not watched that yet, but I watched all of Breaking Bad and I it, during my doctorate. It was amazing, but I haven't, I haven't started with Better Call Saul yet. Three times. I've Holy crap, Larry, you practice a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, and and you it's must funny. Be really good. No, no, no. It's just I, I have a lot of, a lot of time to waste. Um, the first time through, you know, you're a Walter White fan. And then the second yes. time through, you're a Hank fan, you know, and I then the, thought about that. Yeah. well, you, you start to see things from different perspectives. And the okay. third time through, you know, you're watching Jesse and it's like, just, it's an interesting, interesting perspective. How in the world did we get away from Trumpet to talking about this? It's I don't okay. know, but well, it's all practice good. Practice room etiquette. That's what we're talking about. Practice room etiquette and, yeah. uh, and practice techniques and things to help you practice. Yes. 
There you go. Uh, and now that there are closed captions, right? You don't have to worry about the, having the sound. Oh on. my gosh. Yes. Right? I know. Yeah. So man. Uh, okay. So ITG is not that far away. We'll, we'll get to share a cup of coffee or, or something, uh, or, you know, uh, something on the golf course, a beverage on the golf course. Well, you're but driving looking, the cart, so you bring yeah, it to okay. me. I'll, I'll have them. So. <laughs> uh, but I'm looking forward to meeting you there in person. Perfect. And uh, man, thanks again for the time uh, tonight. I really appreciate it. And of course, Love it, this this is going to live on in uh, perpetuity on the YouTube channel. And, uh, uh, you know, it's great. I'm not going to have to go back and edit. I'm not going to have to bleep anything out. <laughs> Uh, this is this has been good. This has been good. You're so, more than welcome. I, I was very behaved for you, Larry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Um, everybody <laughs> has been actually. Um, Wait okay, till so you meet on. me in person. <laughs> uh, um, so hang on just a second. I'm going to do sure. a quick sign off here. And of course, uh, thanks to anybody that's uh, anybody <laughs> people that have joined us. Uh, of course, Chop Saber, Austin Custom Brass, Messina Covers, um, Pickup Blackburn. Carl Hammond Design, Eastman Winds, and S.E. Shires. Thank you uh, again for sponsorship for this podcast. I truly appreciate it. And uh, Payden, and by the way, it's P-E-Y-D-E-N for those of you who want to go and, and look him up on, on Google, Payden Shelton. Because if you type the other Payden in, it's somebody who makes way more money than I do because mm. they're good at football. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, are you talking about Peyton Manning? Yes. Oh yeah, of gosh, course. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm here. I, I live in Salt Lake. He, re he retired from the Broncos. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, we don't like that really here in Indy. You know, I'm sure you don't. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, hang on there. I'm going to sign off. And uh, okay, everybody, uh, let's see. Who have I got next week? Let me check this out. I think this is, uh, isn't that funny? I can't remember. Is um, it Ashley? No. Well, Ashley is on the 9th of April. Okay. Uh, oh, John Whitman. He is the uh, the artist relations manager uh, or director with Yamaha. Hey, well, tell John I said hello. <laughs> I I will. And John's, uh, you know, he's right here in Indy. But uh, I'm really looking forward to talking to John. And then, of course, Ashley's going to be on that Saturday after. But um, yeah, I've got a lot of good uh, good people coming up. And uh, one really in yeah. And this this is a really cool one coming up, Charlie. Wilson, I think is his name. I've uh, got to go back. Yeah. Uh, he was the road manager for Empire. Holy crap. So that I think is going to be an interesting perspective. Uh, he, well, he's, I, hope, he, I hope you get all the good stories. Well, yeah. I mean, there's, there's got to be at least one, <laughs> right? Minimum. Yeah. Minimum of yeah. one. Yes. Right. So, all right, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I got to find again. This app is new to me. I got to find how to to sign off here. Here we go. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>